hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. Erickson wins the Indianapolis 500 in the most dramatic way. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. No matter whether it's a street circuit, a road course, a super speedway, or a small oval, it's fantastic, and there's more to come in 2022. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome, everyone, to your weekly hit of all the news for the IndyCar Nation. I'm Jack Aroot along with my partner, TK Tony Canan, coming to you this week from Brazil. TK, back in the stock car after an SRX ride on the dirt last Saturday night. Is this the final race of your of your stock car campaign, or is it just a home team run? Are you kidding me? That's my home race this weekend, so it's our Indy 500, but I have six more after that. There so, you go. Uh, All right. Well, no, leave it to you to leave the country. Leave it to you uh, to leave the country and then have to get global information in regards to probably the biggest story. And that was the notification that Chip Ganassi Racing has filed a lawsuit against their driver and reigning NTT IndyCar Series champion, Alex Pillow. Your first reaction when you read that news, my friend? Disappointed, I think, um, to the news, not to either parties i think it's a it's a sad situation i think it's it's gonna get really complicated so um yeah i would say disappointed because i'm part of the team and and i really like the kid so it's i hate to see that happening but that's sending a message right there if you can't read what's up in the wall you know it's it's not it's not pretty well, and, and in the in the specifics, as as I understand them, this is a result of what we have covered, and that was that fateful day on July 12th when Ganassi announced that he was picking up Pelot's option for the 2023 campaign, and then Pelot, through social media, said, uh, wait, hold on a minute, and within about 40 minutes after Pelot saying that he didn't authorize the quote and that he was leaving for personal reasons, then let's insert Team McLaren. And I'm not saying Arrow McLaren SP because it was the parent company, Team McLaren, that announced that they had secured the services of Alex Pillow. Throw all that into the boiling cauldron and the end result, and I couldn't believe this, the listing of attorneys that, that Ganassi has retained, uh, it's just, it's, let's see, it's one, two, three, from one group, then we all know Jimmy Voiles. Uh, so these are some heavy hitters. We don't know who uh, LPA Racing, which is the entity that represents Alex Pelot's racing exploits and marketing, because they have not been listed as the attorneys. You remember a couple of weeks ago when this broke, I said, and I think Paul Tracy was with us, and he said the same thing. There's got to be a definitive fear right now that this thing gets tied up in court to the point where this young man in 2023 could be on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, but now that Ganassi moved towards that, 
I think it will be more to prevent Alex to actually race for McLaren and fulfill his contract than actually put him on the sideline. I think as long as the lawsuit's going on, he's not going to be able to race for another team. So that's probably to me, again, my solely own opinion. That move is to force Alex to race for the team and fulfill his contract for 2023 and stay at Ganassi. That's the only reason that that's happening. Look, we've had lame duck drivers before. All right. And I mean, let's even look at the current case. You've got a little comfortable disgruntlement going on with another McLaren acquisition, Alexander Rossi, as he fulfills his contract at Andretti Autosport. But by the same token, in my memory, TK, I can never recall a driver that gets held to a contract in a public lawsuit like this is about to become uh, and then have to race an entire season right. in a place but, where but, he's but already said he doesn't want to be. I agree. And then I, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Um, 1999, uh, ni- at the end of 98, uh, Jerry Forsythe bought Tasman Motorsports. I was under contract with Tasman and Steve Horn. Uh, for two more years. 99, we did the whole season with Foresight, but Steve Horn was still running the show. At the end of 99, I get a call from Morris Nunn that just had left Ganassi and then was building a team with the same equipment at Ganassi at the time, Honda Firestone Reynard, which was the winning combination and cart with a sponsor, a Brazilian sponsor, a Brazilian cigarette called Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, Call Steve Horn to get his opinion. He said, look, I don't see what's going to happen here with the team. Jerry might go to Zwift with the chassis. That's not a good idea, which ended up not being a good idea. Anyway, make a story short. I made a phone call to Jerry. He said, Jerry, I don't want to race for you next year. I want to leave. He says, well, you're on the contract. He said, yeah, but you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, they didn't have any decided. He says, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'm paying your contract. I don't care if we don't race. I said, well, but I do. He says, well, here's the deal. You want to you wanna leave? Somebody needs to buy a contract. I don't care who it is. And that I happens need, all the time. Yeah. I need yeah. an X amount of millions in my account. That was right. like a Tuesday. By Friday, 5 p.m., you can leave. So we go back. I go to Monan, and uh, I actually paid myself. Basically, it was a three-year deal, an X amount of dollars. I said, Morris, I need to pay this amount of dollars to Jerry. Can you deduct from my three right. years? Pay Jerry and get me out. And that's basically what happened. So, and I saw a statement from McLaren uh, early saying, we signed a contract with the driver. We have no intention to buy him out. Uh, we didn't know the situation. So I guess that message was sent out. So, okay, Alex, you want to do this? You really want to do this? Let's try to settle with Chip. Let's see. Uh, what can you do? Can you buy you out? Can you buy yourself out? Do you think Chip Ganassi would allow him? Because look, one thing you and I both know about Chip, All right. He values loyalty to the nth degree, and he does not take being surprised or challenged. Right. right. But but unless he really messed up and and really pissed off Chip that bad. Well, I don't think Pelot pissed him off. But look, there's no love between McLaren and their principles and CGR and Chip Ganassi. No, no, I agree. But my point is, okay, if Chip, if they want to buy him out, whoever it is, if he's, right. Alex is going to go borrow money, whoever, 
and they offer something to Chip, why he wouldn't sell? Do you really want a guy that don't want to race for you, racing for you, just going to force him just to prove a point? How good is that? Because then you're trying to like, we know for a fact, if that happens, unless, I mean, situations change, you forgive people this and that, but I'm pretty sure it's a one-year deal there and people are just going to, they're going to hate each other's guts until the end of the year, until 2023, and that's going to be it. So you're going to have to evaluate all this all the scenarios and see what's worth it. You know, we, we keep forgetting. It's not just between Chip and Palu. We have sponsors. We have commitments. This kid won the championship with NTT. What's NTT saying about that? Is NTT, which side is NTT taking? You know, like, is it the team side? We don't know. I mean, right, the, right. they're all more questions to it than anything else. You know, the other side of the coin, and, and I know – you're very, very limited as to what you can say, but the so-called team leader for CGR because of the number of championships, Scott Dixon, uh, pretty much, I think, went as far as anybody contractually could go when he said he was very disappointed in the way the thing had been handled. Not he's by been CGR. there forever, and, and he's, yeah. he's part of the team. What side do you think he's going to take? No, ab- absolutely. I, I'm not. But I also wonder what that dynamic is like. We already have determined and Alex has stated it and CGR has has concurred that Alex is no longer privy to the remote access for, you know, for checking in things. It's not as bad. And I want to diffuse this because I hold the folks on NBC accountable for this. They made it sound as if Alex arrives at the racetrack and that's the first time he finds out you know, what's in the car, et cetera. You and I both know that what they were disallowing was remote access. But if he wants to get in his car, pick up a dozen donuts, go to the engineering department, he could sit down within the confines of CGR's building and be updated. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit over the top to make it sound like this kid is uh, in the dark. It is, but also Jack, obviously uh, radio, TV, whatever, media, yeah, they try yeah. to create something that for people that don't have enough knowledge, it could seem that way. Now, you're going to talk about setups. I mean, I had how many teams I raced. I had all the setups from every single team. Their teams nowadays, we make our own dampers. So you can't match the damper. doesn't matter if we have yeah, a 100-pound yeah. spring or a 1,000-pound spring. The wheel ratio, as we call, suspension angles are different in cars. So unless you photocopy the car completely you're never going to be able to copy an andretti car a ganassi car you can't and and it's a concept this car has been around for a decade forget about setups everybody have their people swap teams over the years so it is not that bad but i'm pretty sure there are some things that i know for a fact and then it hasn't been a secret because it's been said that alex is not part of it anymore and well and that's understandable because let's not forget mclaren is this year because yeah. I was signed, I was signed for a contract for a full year with CGR, but I was only doing one race. I'm not part of the road course and street course, uh, you know, meetings. Informations. And, yeah, that I'm yeah. not, and then yeah. I'm fine with it. I understand that. Well, and as I say, know. as I say, uh, you know, if if you know Honda certainly, like any OEM, is going to really protect their proprietary information, and that that's just the case. I would have to believe that there's a certain amount of that, even with the defection from Honda of, of, of Rossi to team Chevrolet's McLaren, uh, Aero McLaren SP operation, 
you know, next season. So that doesn't surprise me. Let me ask well, you. Well, also, but I look at look. We talked about this in our yeah. show. Ray Gosling left Andretti and took and look what he did. Hunter goes to Chevy and Chevy pulls the gap. So you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Okay, <laughs> hunker down and hit that delete button. Encrypt it all right now. Uh, let me ask you from a driver's standpoint about this, I, and I'm not talking about the public persona because yeah, you mentioned it about you know, Dixon being part of the CGR family and the true leader there, but the interaction between all of you drivers that are under contract to chip, do you have to at least be a little bit more guarded now that you know that this lawsuit has been filed and that this thing is not going to go quietly into the night? As a driver right now, you just, to be honest, you just need to be careful when you want to talk to Chip because you'll be in a bed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not pretty. Uh, I don't think Chip likes that. I mean, nobody does, but, no. you know, um, I think knowing my boss the way I do, you don't want to mess with him. And then I know people can say, wow, this is, he's intimidating. You intimidate. Well, that's the world, right? We, we face that, but I don't think chips on the wrong here for the looks of it. So that makes it even worse, right? Because, you know, I know you're young. I know you make decisions. I know you have to listen to a lot of people. You and I talked about this uh, on the other podcast, but it's the way I see it. And I don't have, I, I, I stated that many other times. I don't have many details. I can only use examples that I've been mm -hmm. through myself listening to other people when I was young, maybe not being strong or even saying, no, that's my decision. But once you make a commitment, good or bad, if the deal is bad now because you turn the situation around, a deal is still a deal you have to honor. So I think uh, this is one more sign, Chip going to a lawsuit that he's not, he's definitely not playing around and he knows he can win. Chip doesn't do anything. If that is a risk of not, he wouldn't put his face out there. He wouldn't put his team and his reputation and his reputation. Yeah. His reputation, the most winning team in IndyCar in the past 20 years, he wouldn't do that. So I'm definitely not texting Chip this next few weeks to say how he's doing because he's like, you know, wow, how I'm doing. Why are you asking? So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not pretty. So I, I would be extremely skeptical, even if you're not doing anything wrong, just because he has a, a big problem right now. Well, and there was that moment I, as I watched uh, the second race uh, there in Iowa, when JJ and Marcus Erickson were going at it and with the right amount of respect, but I mean, you're talking about the current points leader and Jimmy, you know, taking up the bit in oval racing and they got very close and actually at one point touched wheels. And I'm thinking, you know what? Before the Palo situation, Ganassi might have initially been a little upset, but then would have cheered the bravado. But I immediately, just as you're alluding to, thinking with all the crap that's on the table right now, Jimmy, 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 do you really want to jeopardize everything? But then I thought, nah, you know what? Bottom line is Ganassi's a racer. Bottom line is he's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and he likes winning. And I, we'll talk a little bit in the next segment about what unfolded on that, that two-day weekend or two-event weekend in Iowa. But 
that one comes to mind when you're talking about Chip, as if he needs that on his plate right now. Yeah, but Jack, honestly, on that episode there, uh, I, Jimmy gave the perfect quote. Um, he gave a lot to the team in the past two years. Uh, he helped when he could, when, when he was in a position. Absolutely. Even. Yeah. And that day was his day, and, and it was his best result of the year. I, I cannot blame the guy. I don't even think Erickson got that mad because it's Erickson didn't have as good as a car, and Jimmy was driving better. So that... I don't think Chip would, you know, Chip would probably have gotten mad if they got hit each other, taken yeah, out. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying is uh, yeah, my reaction. Happen, so, yeah, uh, my I mean, reaction was at first, and then I thought, hell no. Chip is looking at this and saying, you go, pal, because it finally it was the day. Uh, it was the weekend for Jimmy Johnson. I mean, right. he and was the in the midst before of Alex, uh, Alex and Erickson got together. So that's it's true. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? So at some point, I think it's – Chip always says sometimes it's better to let you guys race because if you if, if you start doing this, oh, should I should I? That's when start, things happen. So now that was I think it was an awesome move by Jimmy. All right, so uh, that pretty much gets you up to speed with the biggest news of the weekend, and normally that would be enough. Not this week at all. You had a double points in essence event at the. Uh, Iowa Speedway after a two-year absence. You a great had, event, by the way. And we're going to talk about that in the next segment. And what unfolded there, I can't tell you the number of times I went, oh, my God, I can't believe what I just saw. And some of the, well, the fallout from what we witnessed with uh, 550 laps around that seven-tenths of a mile oval. We'll get to that after you listen to these messages quick pit stop and then we're back on the track this, this is Sirius xm's brick by brick from the green flag to the checkered flag we're discussing the hottest topics from the ntt indycar series this is Sirius xm's brick by brick joseph Bugard wins the first half of the high indycar Almost, almost emotionless with that one. He's like, well, yeah, it's Iowa. Of course we won. What do you, what do you expect? Somebody deed this guy some farmland. This guy's the <laughs> king of corn country. Start number 50 for Pato Award is win number four. Award is back in the championship mix. Wins the second half of the High V IndyCar doubleheader in Iowa. Way to go, boys. Way to go. Awesome weekend. Let's go. He's Tony Kanata. I'm Jack Arut. We are really pleased that you've decided to join us here on our little weekly get-together brick by brick. Tony, we took the biggest news in segment one. That's only appropriate. But Iowa, off the radar due to COVID and other scheduling issues for the last two years, and one of the newest partners in IndyCar, Hy-Vee, uh, you know, that Ohio-based company, uh, stepped into the Midwestern market there, totally transformed that super tight, fast, short oval, and played to a full house, not just in the grandstands, but also with four, count them, four mega concerts over two days. There was so much to take in. It was such a tremendous success, and it was like injecting adrenaline into the heartland of America I just could not get over how great the place looked, 
how Penske Entertainment worked hand in glove with Hy-Vee. I mean, they had a supermarket in the infield, Tony. I mean, Jack, I think basically uh, they set the bar how a race weekend needs to be at every race. This is the way it should be every race. And I think, you know, Penske Entertainment is hoping and working towards that. It was a success. I mean, big props to High V because they, they definitely step it up as well. But uh, what I, I mean, I was, you know, since I made my decision to be a part-time, I'm very, very, very much okay with not being on a race weekend on an IndyCar and watching on TV. Apart from uh-huh. the 500, I don't think I would get jealous anymore because I've done it. Uh, and I was, I was like, man, I wish I was there on this one. So what a great weekend, uh, not just off the track with all the promotion and the way that the track looked, but let's talk about the two races. Man. Oh I mean, my gosh. So many well, let's, let's talk about qualifying first. You know, the right. qualifying concept of you do two laps. The first lap counts for the, for the, for the first race. The second lap counts for the second race. And how about the terror of Toowoomba? <laughs> one yeah, he, P1 one, in, in race one, one. away. One and away. Then, you know, here we go, boys. You know, <laughs> and gets gets just climbs up that ladder. And you know, when we've talked to Will before, you know, he's kind of bemoaned the fact that they weren't, you know, on the qualifying tear like he's so accustomed to. Well, now he's back on that tear, and we saw the result during the races for Will Power when he has the benefit of not having to start in the back of the pack. Right. And, 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 you know, great qualifying job. And that shows, I want people to understand the listeners. Uh, this is how we, before a few years ago, we used to draw a number for qualifying. And Will was the guy that complained the most that that was not fair because the track gets better and better as you run. Uh, which is true. But now I have to say from the outside, to me, I if, if I was an IndyCar right now, I would have to suggest that we need to look at that rule again because you only, you're benefiting the leaders the entire time. I know there's an argument to say, well, you put yourself in that position, you deserve better, this and that. But like as a fan, I mean, you see a car like Ed Carpenter or Jimmy, at least that it was pretty strong, but had to go early because now we go by championship points, guys. Right. So, right. But again, it was a great qualifying. We'll pull two poles. I mean, how strong was Penske that weekend? And those two guys, I mean, unbelievable. And that tells you, I mean, Jack, Will put the car on the pole twice, did not win either of the either races. Either race. Yeah. And yeah. that tells you how good of a qualifier he is as well because that there, it's not just, oh, it's a noble. You need to drive the car there. It has some to do with the drivers coming up to speed, cold tires. I mean, you see, you saw Colton. First lap was terrible. You're like, whoa, he's good. Second lap, he, for the second race, he was much faster. So to put two laps like that together and put on the pole twice, it's, um, you know, it, it's not by coincidence that he's one race away, uh, one pole away from the record. Let's focus, though, on the performance of Will Power's teammate, Joseph Newgarden. What is it, TK? I mean, when you look at the record that Jay New just increased by winning 
that first race and winning walking away. I mean, I haven't seen no, that no, no, kind no. of domination. Lapping, I mean, if it wouldn't have yeah. been yellow, they would be the top two. I've, I have, I've seen that in the past. We know that. I mean, even but you're, not this you're season. older than, but you're not older this than season. me. Oh, easy no, no, boy. Down boy. Me, but even on in IndyCar, I mean, yeah. back in the day with the reliability of the cars and stuff, he would say, all right, you can see that. But you don't see that nowadays. And right. they were going to lap everybody. He just so, a dominating performance. And we'll get to the continuation and then what happened to New Garden. But all of the action behind JNU, that to me was very fascinating. And to me, it spoke volumes about the ebb and flow and competitive nature of 2022. What say you? Yeah. Okay. You get the two guys that, that, that had a huge domination. Right. But then in the same token, the rest of the field were together. Like you see Jimmy Johnson, you see like the line Jimmy was running in the first race. You're like, what is that? Jimmy, that's not NASCAR. There, there are marbles there and he's making it work. Yeah. And you see guys like, you know, they're fighting for 15th. Like if it's for, P1 because it was so difficult to drive. It was so hard to gain one position that you're going to go, well, 15th to 14th is only two points. No, no, no. We need those two points. We need the points. So it's crazy. Then we moved to Sunday. And Sunday, it looked like, well, the old cliche, second verse, same as the first. As Newgarden just waltzed away uh, and was out front by a Iowa country mile and then a damper failed uh, at first. No one was sure, but we received word from Tim Sindrick uh, earlier this week that the postmortem on the crash showed that it was a failure of one of their dampers that literally lifted uh, the left front right off the ground and sent an unsuspecting Joseph Newgarden in, into the barrier. It was unfortunate that, in the case of NBC's Peacock coverage that it occurred during side-by-side -side during a commercial, but that's just the breaks of the game. You know it and I know it, but when they began to uh, dissect it, I, I was totally astonished. And I think it goes to just how quick your fortunes can change. And when was the last time we saw that kind of mechanical failure? But I answer my own question. When, when was the last time we raced on, that bumpy, a high speed oval. Well, high bumpy, high speed, and high load. Yes. Load yes. With, again, let me add to it. All that on top of it, you add a windscreen that weights a ton. So you add more weight and more stress to the damper, well, to the entire car. But it go, it's physics, right? It goes from the top of the car to the damper, to the suspension, to the tire. Yeah. Something is going to give up. Obviously, IndyCar is fully aware we did tests. We didn't just throw the windshield and said, ah, let's go do it. But parts fail. We know that. That's part of racing. People win and lose races all the time. That's been there for 100 years. But nowadays, with reliability that we have, we don't see a lot of happening. I mean, we rarely see an engine goes, Jack, anymore. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. You, we used to see smoke like, oh, DK. you know. Even before yeah. that, when I first started in the 80s, uh, you'd better quickly be able to see with your eye failure of a CV joint. The constant velocity so, joints. They gave out every, you know, multiple times and multiple teams. 
And that was what knocked so many great race car drivers out of Indy 500s or, or races at Cleveland Grand Prix, you name it. Well, a CB joint is what put him out. So honestly, don't, I don't think it was abnormal. I think it was, like you said, it was a product of all those combinations yeah. that we just mentioned a couple minutes ago. And, and unfortunately, it happened to the leader. It wouldn't have been a big deal if the 15th car had done that. You go, well, yeah, that happened. but it was to the leader that was dominating both races that was going to get out of there. And he and was going to leave with the points champion. Points championship title. leader. Yeah. Yeah. And then shuffles everything. He's actually down to fourth. I mean, he's tied with Dixon, you know, for third, but like, and that's how, unfortunately, you win and lose championships. And, you know, uh, it's, again, we've been saying on the show, it's going to be interesting. And every race we go, it's, it's become even more interesting. So, uh, any road course, we raced there already. Uh, we know people that dominated with people that don't, so we'll see. But, uh, you know, by the time we get to Nashville, I think this championship is going to be pretty much, uh, you know, I will have my pick. That's for no, sure. I, I thought it would be after this race, but after the way it unfolded with Pato Award getting the victory. But let's now move to the most concerning aspect of this New Garden crash. Uh, he did all, got out of the car on his own. Uh, actually, although he, you weren't sure, he was a bit befuddled and not your typical Joseph Newgarden in the uh, you know post-infield care center mandatory interview with the folks. You could see he was still a little dazed, but then lost his footing, you know, had some medical issues that at least as we tape this today has not been cleared to race in the Gamebridge Grand Prix this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That could all but if that holds chalk and if that's the case, that could all but end any aspirations that Newgarden has for a No, but Jack, let me let me tell you. Um a couple of things that happened there on the crash. It was unexpected. And when he went to the wall, I think he actually looked in the in, his in car. He actually leaned forward, which is the biggest mistake you can probably yeah. make when you're crashing, but it's hard to tell your brain, you're going to crash. You need to rest your head. You know, it's like, you see it, something's coming at you, you, you crunch. And you, so anyway, and that, I think it was a bigger hit in his head. Um, and then he felt afterwards, but IndyCar is not going to clear him until Friday. So I was not expecting to hear anything today. Uh, sorry, Thursday. So tomorrow, it will be the day that we will know. Now, and, then when, and what he has to do, and this I applaud IndyCar because they pioneered this. All of you drivers, when you go for your pre-season health inspection, you develop a, what they call a concussion protocol. And then when there okay. is a concussion suspected, then before you're cleared to get back in the cockpit, you have to pass that compression protocol yet again to the medicals. Uh, and, and guys, that is not, we used to, back in the days, we used to cheat that all the time. Oh, yeah. Now they can assure you this is what's going to happen. New Garden is going to show up at the speedway tomorrow. They're going to put him in front of a computer with the baseline test that he did on the physicals in January. That's why we do that. And he's going to go through that test. That test consists. Uh, memory some they will ask you a question like hey jack uh today the number is six and you go through a bunch of tests 20 minutes later go jack what was the number that i told you uh, four. in the beginning of the show four. So, four. Four. <laughs> here we go yeah. so should, and that is a hundred percent reliable so if yeah. they clear him it be, it's because he's perfectly fine i mean 
mentally. Physically, we don't know, but he's a strong kid. And I'm telling you, he will do anything he can because you're right. If he misses this race, it's going to be pretty hard for him to, to win this championship. You know, so pervasive and so all-encompassing is that concussion protocol that it basically has been adopted across the board, not just in the world of motorsports, developed by the excellent medical staff that uh, has been part of IndyCar's history. And the NFL uses it. Everyone now employs that. Even in high schools, my middle grandson uh, had to go through that concussion protocol, both before his lacrosse season and when he got a concussion. But enter super sub Santino Ferrucci. Can you imagine what it must have been like when Sindrick or whoever the team Penske representative was that reached out to him and said, look, we know you're going to be up there racing uh, on the road course in the Xfinity car. Bring your IndyCar stuff in your seat because we need you to go on standby. Not the first time that Ferrucci's been on standby, filled in for Jack Harvey at the 11th hour. As a young driver that just, just plain wants to get back to IndyCar full time, what must that phone call have been like? I think great. I mean, let's yeah. go back a decade ago. A guy called uh, named Will Power got a call from Penske to do the same thing. How did that work out for you? Yeah, so, exactly. Santino must be anxious. Uh, I don't think it's a threat for any of those three guys in that team if he jumps in the car and does well. The good thing is Penske used to run four cars. Tony Cannon's opinion. This kid should be an IndyCar. Very talented. Every time he got put it in the hot seat, he delivered. Yes, very controversial. Done things in the past that was that even himself, it's not proud. But how long we're we gonna hold that against the kid that is very talented? So I think he've learned a lot. And if he gets the chance, if there is a guy that is, I'm gonna call him. One guy that I always and you know him well enough that never really gave bollocks to the world, Juan Pablo Montoya. So you're going to give this kid that chance. He's going to take it and he's going to show yeah. the world. That he so I don't know. I mean, I would love to not to see New Garden out of the car because I think he is, in my opinion, a guy to win this championship. But we'll see what's going to happen. And rest assured, TK and I will break it down uh, next week on the edition of Brick by Brick. All right, coming up next, before we close out our little get-together, there's an initiative that has been started by PNC Bank and Chip Ganassi Racing. The idea is we need to make it more inclusive in the world of motorsports, and it is called Women in Motorsports Initiative. We're going to visit with a beneficiary of that, Angela Ashmore, who, TK, you know very well, he, she is an assistant data acquisition engineer on the Indy 500 championship team of Marcus Erickson. That will be next right here on Brick by Brick. Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Well, TK, I think it's only appropriate that we close out the show today because it is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and that totally changed the entire landscape for women in sports. And our next guest, I know you know her very well because she's part of that juggernaut that's known as Chip Ganassi Racing. 
She's the assistant engineer for data acquisition uh, on Marcus Erickson's Indy 500 championship team. Angela. She's Ashford. an Indy 500 winner, Jack. Come that's on. right. That's right. So I'm the only one that's not in this this triumphant. But oh, too bad for you. But I've been to Victory Lane more times than any of you. Okay, even more than Roger Penske. At least right. I can lay claim. Angela, it's so good of you to join us. Give us a little background on this joint venture trying to promote women in sports and specifically in the world of IndyCar racing, where you've come up through the ranks through uh, PNC Bank and Chip Ganassi Racing this women in motorsports effort? Yeah, so uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, so PNC started this initiative just this year and uh, it's part of a, a much larger program on their part to try and uh, minimize the gap um, of gender equality in the workplace. And um, the main part that they're working on is, uh, you know, just trying to get women opportunities that don't exist otherwise. And I think you probably both know how difficult it is to find a foot in the door and to find a mm -hmm. spot. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I struggled with trying to get in. Um, I wanted to be in racing since I was, you know, three or four years old. And um, I went and got the degree and did all the things and got as much experience as I could. But um, when it came time to find a job, I just, I didn't know where to start. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't know anyone. Um, so that's the great thing that PNC is doing is they're providing opportunities for women to get a foot in the door, to get some experience and to um, get some exposure to the industry, which is awesome. You know, Angela, um, I would like for you to explain, there's a lot of listeners and maybe it's a girl that is 13 years old and they're listening to us. They want to be in racing. So obviously you went through the hard part and now you're extremely successful. So it's very easy to, you know, now and say, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it was an easy path. But what would you say or explain if a girl wants to say, I want to be in racing? I know you guys have the campaign, but what would, what's the advice? What, did, what is there a different path that they need to take? What's the route, you know? <laughs> well, I think there's a, there's no one unique way to do it, but I think the most important thing is going out there and getting what experience you can. And for me, um, I did formula SAE in school and I found a group on campus of like-minded people who wanted to go work on late models. And I went and did that in my free time. Um, there was a group in high school, we had an electrothon car and it was very rudimentary, but it was, you know, I got to drive and that was so cool. And um, I worked on a land speed record car. Um, wow. Just find, Find something and, you know, just having something on your resume, there's a million people out there who have, you know, a mechanical engineering degree who are, you know, that want to go racing. Um, having something in addition to that to show that you're interested and you've put in some additional time is what sets you apart. So it doesn't really matter what it is, just find something and do it. Spend some extra time and show that you have the passion that it takes. You know, throughout your life, uh, you've kind of enjoyed the, uh, and even I'm putting that in quotation marks, some of the opportunities that let's say going all the way back to Janet Guthrie that they didn't. Heck, I've been at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway all the way back when women weren't even allowed in the gasoline alley. So in as much as we've come a very long way, Angela, what's left? What do you think uh, we as an industry need to do to accelerate 
the integration of, of gender equality in the sport? I always struggle with that one because it's not something I feel like you can really force, but mm -hmm. um, I think the thing for me is that it starts so early on, like when, when these girls are very young, um, we need to be encouraging them to be, you know, that, you know, you're just as good at, you know, at math and science and um, you can work with tools too. You know, it's not, it's not a boys or a girls thing. Um, that stuff, those biases start so early on. And I think there's been a lot of movement in the last like 10 or 15 years on this STEM education and, you know, um, getting the number of, you know, girls and young women in uh, engineering programs, especially, which is what I'm most familiar with, you know, on my end is the engineering side of it. But, um, you know, when I went to college, there were maybe 10% female in the mechanical engineering field. And if you think about it, like how many women out of those, you know, out of those 10% are interested in working in automotive and specifically motorsports, you know, there's probably like me and maybe one other person, if that, you know, it's just, um, the numbers just aren't there. So, uh, I think the interest starts early. So, um, for me, I want to see, you know, I want to see young girls getting encouraged in math and science in school. And I want to see dads and, and moms taking their young girls to the racetrack early. I think we're seeing a lot of that uh, over on the driving side of it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you can go to a local go-kart track and it's evenly distributed, you know, boys and girls. And even at the racetrack, my family owns and TK saw it. We have a lot of outstanding female competitors, but I think lagging behind are the support positions like, like yours. And, and you mentioned STEM, um, you know, that starts early on. Do you do any yeah. mentoring there? Like in, at the elementary level, to get, get young girls to be interested and think they're entitled to studying, you know, technology and, and engineering and math? Um, I get asked every once in a while uh, to talk to young groups of girls. And I try to make a point when I can, when the opportunity is there, you know, to, to speak to these young girls and encourage them. And especially with my own family members, you know, nieces um, and, you know, extended family, you know, I try and be conscious of the way that I give them praise. Like, you know, it's not, you know, always like, oh, your hair is so beautiful today. And I love that dress <laughs> and what pretty shoes you have. <laughs> and like, oh, like, do you want to go play makeup? It's like, I'm buying the monster trucks for Christmas and they're getting Hot Wheels and like all the cool stuff. And that's what we need to do as, as, as a society. We, we need yeah. to just break away all that because your work at CGR, I would have to figure, and Tony, you can weigh in on this, you know, she's part of, air quotes, the guys, all right, that yeah. make you, Tony, or Jimmy Johnson, or in, in Angela's case, Marcus Erickson, true champions. It's behind the scenes. Yeah, because it's a team. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's a guy yeah. or a girl, you know what I mean? It's just a team, and, and, and that's something that I see it in my own house. I have three boys and a girl, she plays with more Hot Wheels than the boys do. So uh, maybe we have something there as well in the future, you know. But uh, Angela, how, uh, you know, anybody that we can, you know, put in the podcast, they have a story. They can say how hard it was. We all have our own stories. But mm -hmm. how satisfying was to get that Indy 500 
victory. You know, I mean, in a way, we talked many times in this podcast, not just, and that's not in a bad way, but even Marcus called himself not bad for a pay driver because he <laughs> yeah. always looked like that. So, and when you look Marcus like that, you, you look as the A team like that because they talk, he's providing for everything. And we all know better than that, but you know, people talk. Um, how for you, you know, two situations there. One, everybody thought, wow, the A car is always the A car there, blah, 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 all the talks. And you, you know, being a woman on an engineer, backing up Brett there and making strategies and, and just honestly kicking everybody's butt. Um, how satisfying was it? I still can't really believe it, to be honest. Like, it doesn't feel real. And the whole race, I just kept thinking, like, we're going to finish, like, sixth, seventh. This is going to be pretty awesome. Like, that's going to be a good point stay for us. And, uh, you know, even at Ganassi, you kind of, even though, you know, we're one team, we're all working for the same goal, there's always kind of this, like, unconscious, like, Scott's the top dog. And the 10 car is number two. And like, I know people I know say the that. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I don't have to tell you. Um, you know, I, I don't know that people expect as much as the out of the eight car. And I think that's something that like, we're out to prove, like you ought to expect us to win the race. Like we're here for blood, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not here to finish third behind the nine and the 10. Like I'm here to, kick some butt um so you kind of you kind of almost like view yourself in the third spot to kind of fire yourself up and think like yeah you know like we're going to be the top dogs at cgr this is awesome yeah i still can't get over it i growing up i we were a nascar family just um that was what my dad was into and that's what i followed and um I always thought that I was going to be like this NASCAR crew chief. And um, when I came to IndyCar, I'm like, man, I got to like set a new path. Um, what am I going to like, what's the thing that I got to do that's going to, you know, set me above all the rest. That's going to, you know, be something that I can, you know, hold on to, put on my resume, you know, be part of my identity as, you know, as a race engineer going forward. And like the Indy 500 is the only thing in IndyCar that like really matters. And I just, I don't believe that I did it. Honestly. No, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked my wife that because I had to propose and gave her a ring, but then I won the Indy 500 and I gave her another ring. <laughs> so how is that going to work at your house? <laughs> well, I'm hoping I bring my own ring home. I, I think a nice watch would do. There you go. There you go. Hey, Angela, we couldn't be prouder of your accomplishments and uh, congratulations, Indy 500 champion that you are. But there's one thing left on the horizon. You could possibly double down and be an Indy 500 champion and an IndyCar Series championship team as well. We appreciate your weighing in and, uh, and helping us to encourage more young girls. Start at an early age and follow in the, your footsteps. Thanks so much for today. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Well, TK, that was a fascinating conversation with an absolutely fascinating individual. And uh, I'm glad that our buddy Nate Lee was able to secure that, especially with all the news that we've been talking about. Oof. But we are we are down to uh, the most important part of every every one of these brick by brick shows. Hey, hey, by the way, uh, 
Ah, Who won the race? Oh, be quiet, will you? Uh, just, you know what? Just go ahead. Pick the winner here on the road course at Indianapolis. Will Power. Okay. You know. And my second is Scott Dix. I'm I'm going to go, and I would have said Alex Pillow until the lawsuit, which we have totally, <laughs> totally unpacked earlier in this show. So I and I can't go with New Garden because at this point when we're taping this, we don't even know if it's going to be New Garden or Ferrucci, which we also have talked about. So you know what? What the hell? I'm so deep in the hole. I'm going to go with. Wait for it. McLaughlin. Okay. All right. So that's about the best that I can offer. Hey, Jack, let's, what's your uh, second pick? My second pick, I think, I think I'm opting. I think there's a good possibility that Polo could be on a roll here. I mean, Polo. Okay. That Pato could be on a roll and that, and that he would be the sleeper. Now let's make a deal now for the next show. Yeah. You're not allowed to pick anybody in the top six in the championship. I like that. That's excellent. For I'm Nashville, all in for that. We'll do that. All right. I'm all in for that. Hey, appreciate you all visiting with us. Quick reminder, if you want more IndyCar news, in fact, this week, my guest is going to be Paul Tracy, old podium PT, and we're going to weigh in on all of his Alex Pillow, Chip Ganassi racing. Look, we've said it so many times. There's a limited amount that my partner here can speak about because of contractual obligations, but... Paul Tracy, listen, you just give him a microphone and he will go off. You don't want to miss that. That's Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel. Our thanks to our guests today, and that, of course, Angela Ashmore. Thanks to Nate Lee as well. Hope that you will join us again next week when the way things have been going, folks, who knows what will be the primary focus here on Brick by Brick. I'm Jackaroot for Tony Kanan. So long, everyone. 